Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Arjun, Arjun, that video of the uh, Cincinnati mayor signing the bill that uh, puts <laughs> Joe Burrow as Mahomes' uh, dad. I, Interesting. I would have. I, why didn't he just wait until after the game? Like if the Bengals win, uh, I feel like that would have been hilarious. Like you don't want to give them bulletin board material. I know. I thought. I thought it would be a Brown King Spring, but that guy set us back a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I looked him up. He's half he's half Indian, half Tibetan. Um, so yeah, he he did send us back a little bit. But if he's right, I mean, he can take his three laps. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, appreciate everyone starting to trickle in. Um, we'll get started in a little bit once we get a couple more people. Dude, how is how is Mahomes just like not on the injury report at all? I know. That's kind of crazy. Like, I don't know. I think, I mean, I've had a sprained ankle before. Have you, have you like, sprained your ankle? Yeah. Yeah, it, like, it hurts for, like, a week or two. Like, it, like, takes a while. To, yeah. Like, and a high ankle. It's, like, I don't know. Yeah, high ankle sprain's even, even worse. Yeah, that's true. But I didn't realize Kelsey was going to be on the injury report. Maybe that's just, like, a precaution or something. Yeah, I mean, he's going to play. There's no way he doesn't play. Yeah, no, he'll play, but I don't. I, I mean, I assume he'll be healthy, but that's. I guess it's kind of weird. It popped up in the middle of the week, but yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was looking at um, Elijah Mitchell and just like his season, and it feels like every week. He comes back from some like knee or ankle injury. He gets hurt for like another month, like exactly after. Like I don't think he's practiced all week. I don't even. I don't even think he's gonna play on Sunday. Oh really? You, you see that? Because like, have you? I don't know if you noticed that. Like he'll just like miss time like every yeah, month. I have kind of noticed that. Yeah. He'll come back for like two weeks or something and get get re injured. Kind of sucks for him, but. That's I mean, why I was like, I was, I, I didn't like how they just traded Jeff Wilson after they traded for McCaffrey. Like, Wilson was doing well in their offense. Yeah. Like, he was running well. Like, yeah, you couldn't rely on, on Mitchell, I thought, yeah, from, like, injury standpoint. So, I guess, I mean, yeah, it, it's going to be a big McCaffrey game on, on Sunday anyways, even with or without Mitchell. And, like, the thing is, like, to close out the Dallas game, 
they were running with Mitchell. They weren't even running with McCaffrey now. I think part of that is because um, McCaffrey got banged up. I think he had that quad yeah. injury in game. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, if I wasn't like following the game closer and I saw that, I'm like, you traded all of those picks just so Mitchell get them porting carries at the end of the game. <laughs> I just doesn't doesn't make sense. We do owe Mitchell for running out of bounds and giving us that Dallas final play. Oh yeah, we can all laugh about. Yeah, so at least did that. <laughs> but all right, I think we must have get... got injured sometimes this yeah. week. We oh, yeah, let's just Cool. Yeah, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, we like to do one of these like every month. They're a lot of fun to to kind of do these and, and preview some games. And you know, this is like the best. Their most anticipated Sunday of, of the year, usually other than probably week one, because you just get like two really, really good matchups. Uh, like the games are usually really close and like it determines who's going to play in the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, really excited for these. I think like I always say for like true football fans, like conference championship Sunday is like our Super Bowl because like the Super Bowl becomes like really overhyped when you talk about it for two weeks. And uh, the, these matchups are like a lot of fun to to preview. So, we're, you know, we're just going to be talking about the games and, and some of the matchups and stuff. So, you know, feel free to, to request to speak at any time and you can join us and, and kind of share your insights on the games and, and talk ball, basically. Yeah, uh, make sure make sure you're requesting to speak. Obviously, we're we're hoping that we get a lot of, um, you know, speakers in here. Uh, we understand it's a Friday evening, but again, I really appreciate everyone coming and you know listening to us speak. Uh, Tage, I think we should start off, you know, just going in order. So starting with Eagles 49ers, um, you know, what is what is something that you were looking at or are thinking about for this game that you think is, you know, worthwhile to talk about? Yeah, like just from like the 49ers offense versus the Eagles defense, like I'm very curious to see what Kyle Shanahan does to these Eagles linebackers because I think the Eagles defensive line is very, very good and their secondary is also very, very good, but the one place that they're like a little bit weaker at than the rest of their roster is, is linebacker. And that's where the Shanahan offense has excelled for years is attacking the middle of the field and on zone runs, getting the linebackers to kind of get out of position. So the, the Eagles game plan is going to be really interesting to me. I think Gannon's a really good defensive coordinator and, uh, and he, and he knows Staley pretty well. I think they have like the similar roots too. And like Staley tried a lot of different things to, to like, kind of make sure his linebacker core wasn't exposed in, in that game that they played earlier this year. And I think Gannon's going to have to do some similar things with, with different fronts with his defensive line and stuff. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I, I definitely think um, what Shanahan does is going to be important because, I mean, he just as a play caller has been very good the first two weeks of this or the first two weeks of the playoffs. He's forced, he he's basically forced broken coverage on opposing defenses on about, uh, 75% of their offensive passing plays, which, which again is extremely high. It's, it's a very good number and it's kind of, um, you can kind of see it on film. You look at, you look at the, the Cowboys game and you'd be like, Oh, like Purdy stats weren't that great. And, you know, for most of the game, it did feel like the Cowboys were winning on defense, but in the secondary, there were a lot of like good route combinations that were getting open that it, it just, uh, Purdy wasn't able to find the receiver strictly because, um, you know, the pass rush was getting home with uh, they had the Cowboys defense had 20 pressures in that game. So I think Shanahan's been great. And this will probably be the toughest test he's had with Purdy all season. I do think the Eagles defense is a little bit better than the Cowboys defense. I guess the one thing, one concern I have for the Eagles defense is, you know, James Bradbury and Darius Slay are great at 
being good, like being elite at the catch point. Uh, they're also very good before the catch point. But one issue I, I would worry about with, with them is both of them are pretty old. Like they're on their third contracts, right? So when you have an old receiver or old secondary going up against a wide receiver room of Ayuk and Debo Samuel, that leaves a lot to, to be desired in terms of yards after catch. And I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how that mat- matchup plays out because I think an athletic wide receiving room would trump the uh, kind of aging secondary of Philadelphia. But I could be completely wrong there. And because the Eagles play a ton of zone, it might not even matter all that much. But that's definitely one concern I have for the uh, Eagles defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. And I want to bring on an expert about this type of stuff. Uh, Sean Sayad. Sean, how are you today? Guys, I'm, I'm doing really, really well. I'm glad you started off with the Niners. Uh, I make no bones about being extremely Kyle Shanahan and Vic Fangio bias. <laughs> and you guys were mentioning uh, like kind of the Staley, not Staley roots exactly in Philadelphia, but yeah, they really run a lot of that, that system stuff. And Vic Fangio is actually a consultant there. I'm not sure if he did much there or got to just hang out and stuff, but you can see those roots. And what's cool, I like that you guys mentioned kind of the different fronts that the Eagles want to use. They like running what looks more like a three, four, or really a five down front. And those fronts really came out, out of a, a way to stop the kind of zone system that McVay and Shanahan really kind of pushed around the yeah. league because you clog those interior gaps and cause conflict. And then what the what I love that Shanahan has done, like you see when Juszczyk and Kittle are kind of sprinting across, and I think they call it like spirit motion, but they do that because they need to kick out that defensive end in some way, right? So we don't want to let – like I always think of this clip of T.J. Watt just spiking inside and then busting the run. Like it's too hard for a defensive end that – or a tight end to block a defensive end one-on-one. So I think you guys make a really good point. Like if the Eagles, the one, maybe it's a weakness on their whole team, it could be in run defense. And then you look at that kind of matchup. And I just love that Shanahan at this point has had so many reps of facing this sort of front on defense. And then to me, it brings up another conversation, like stopping the run in my mind, it's not exactly a choice, but it's, it's such a fight for like, how do you allocate your resources, right? You could theoretically put 11 guys in the box and say, we are not going to stop the run. Obviously teams don't do that. The, the team can pass. Right. But I think the Eagles are going to be happy to continue to play light boxes. Right. Let's keep six guys, yeah. seven guys in the box. And I think that's a good choice. Right. Because I, I think I said it the last time I came on, I think it was after Purdy played against the Seahawks. Like eventually a defender is not going to drop the pick. Right. Like I just think like however many turnover worthy plays you see from him, eventually you can't hide that. And, you know, Trayvon Diggs, I don't know, like he dropped that pick last week. So my biggest concern is, you know, like what is Shanahan going to let loose for Purdy where I continue to tell myself, hey, you can't hide your quarterback. You can't hide your quarterback. Eventually it's going to get exposed. But maybe he can take enough out of his plate and just kind of in the run game. Obviously, then the Eagles are saying, hey, look, if you're going to take those kind of just lower EPA chances, you're going to force yourself to run the ball 16 times down the field. That's going to be something that the Eagles defense mm. is probably happy to do. And I think the the other discussion on, on the opposite, and once you guys get into that, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about that as well. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And that's I, that's what I think is like the really good thing about like what Eagles defensive coordinator uh, Jonathan Gannon has done this year is he invites teams to run because he understands like kind of the pieces he has and like the passing efficiency versus the rushing efficiency – and then Kyle Shanahan, like in the playoffs, like we looked at this before the playoffs, has a negative 10% pass rate over expected uh, in, in like his playoff career with the 49ers. And I think he is starting to get a little bit 
uh, tilted with the way that Purdy keeps like trying to make out of structure plays and and throwing <laughs> balls and you know at, at defenders that are that are almost getting intercepted. And those have worked and they've they've created explosive plays at times. But like I think the reason why the Jimmy G version of like the Shanahan offenses, like Shanahan loved those so much was because Jimmy G would play so much in the structure of what Shanahan wanted to do. And he would have that one mistake a game that would like cost them at, at some points, but he still liked how like quick release Jimmy G was. And Purdy's like kind of different than that where he'll run around and he'll try to extend plays. And I think that's worrisome for Shanahan. So I, I do think he leans on the run in this game, especially early, especially, and especially if the Eagles are, are giving it to him with the light boxes. Yeah, I, I, Shanahan is, is so fascinating to me. Like, I, I wonder how much of, like, is he really just, like, a control freak where he really wants to, like, play Madden on the field? And yeah. then, like, to me, the 49ers are an underdog. Um, obviously, it's not like they're a 10-point underdog. But, hey, maybe, you know, the way to win there is you lean into that volatility, I guess. Obviously, the, the negatives of uh, interception is, is going to be such a big problem. I did want to talk about maybe – kind of see what you guys thought about. Like, I love the way that the Eagles have chosen to defend the run. Like, I'm a huge Jordan Davis fan. I hope that everyone is. Fletcher yeah. Cox. And I see Erickson here would want to hear kind of what maybe what he thinks as well. I was, like, just DMing back and forth, and Eric talked about it on his awesome podcast previously. Just, like, okay, if you have a uh, – in the defensive secondary, for example, like having – I'm sorry if I'm misstating it, but, like, having pretty much, like, more equal pieces – same as the offensive line is going to cause less issues, right? Like you want to have good pieces in each part, which may be more valuable than having like your star cornerback one and having a really bad cornerback two. So I know, I, I think I've seen a little more discussion on, Hey, interior defensive line are just better across the NFL. Maybe they've, they've had more value. So either anything that you guys have looked at recently, whether it's not only stopping the run, obviously getting after the pass, but if kind of interior defensive line value is also getting pushed up a little bit more than I think, uh, maybe it has in recent years. I, I I definitely think it has. And honestly, if you just look at like the recent interior defense alignment classes, it's been like really impressive. Like the 2019 in, interior defense alignment class outside of Jerry Tillery might be like the greatest like interior defense class of all time. Like the amount of great run defenders and just pass rushers that have come out um, of the interior has been really impressive. And I think that, you know, we, we are going to see some players resetting the market very soon. I'm curious to see who does it first, but or no one's going to get to Aaron Donald level. But like in terms of like the actual interior defense alignment market, I definitely think there has been a large influx of talent. And I think your point about Jordan Davis, Sean, is really important because I do think he is the X factor in this game for the Eagles. I know that sounds kind of weird, but the 49ers this year have done extremely well running the ball in the guard gap. So this means or basically the A gap. So when They've run um, to the right side between the, the right guard and the center. They've averaged about a 46.5% success rate. When the 49ers have run between the left guard and the center, they've averaged about a 44.2% success rate. So, like, they've – and, like, the NFL average is about 40, so they're performing above the league average in that sense. So, you know, it, it they Shanahan's been doing great kind of running the ball, even though passing has been more efficient for him. I still think his run game has been pretty good. And – if Jordan Davis is there kind of clogging up the A gap, allowing guys like Kaiser White and TJ Edwards to, um, you know, to drop into those run gaps, I definitely think that's going to be important in this game. And, you know, for the most part, the Eagles run defense has been a, li a little bit leaky, but I, you know, I, I do think the interior defense alignment have to win this game for them because, you know, Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey are pretty good. And while I think Hassan Reddick is awesome, I, you know, I, I don't know how well he's going to fare against McGlinchey, who is, you know, at least in a, a league, above league average. Uh, right tackle 
And all of this stuff is connected, right? Like if they're able to stop those interior runs on first and second down, what the Eagles have been able to do on third down this year from a pass rush standpoint, getting a sack on 19% of uh, pure drop back third downs, which is like by far first in the league and led by Hassan Reddick, I think could be huge because like Purdy has been like about average to below average, I think like as a quarterback level, but Against this Eagles defensive line, we saw what it did to Daniel Jones last week, who's probably in a similar tier. And, like, Purdy having, like, something like that, I think, could be pretty rough. Eric, you good? Hey, what's up, guys? Sorry, I'm on my way to uh, these, this Milwaukee Bucks-Indiana Pacers game. Uh, my daughter's a Giannis fan, so I'm about to uh, embark on that. So maybe if my signal goes off, I, I promise that uh, it, it's not because I don't like you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I appreciate appreciate you hopping in, um, Sean. What did you wanna What did you wanna ask Eric again? It was about the like interior design and stuff. I mean, Eric, I was just wondering, you know, kind of like we were going back and forth a little bit just now. How we were talking about kind of right the higher value. Uh, if you have a really good cornerback one and a really bad cornerback two, that might not be the, as like the best thing to have as opposed to having kind of really like solid level across the field. Same way with the offensive line. Just kind of thinking about if offensive line in a little bit of way could be kind of analogized to that. Just thinking how the 49ers are going to, I think, attack the Eagles defense in like using those fronts, but can you have like a defensive line where it's just, Hey, we need to take shots on the defensive line as well and be kind of really solid across the board, as opposed to the setup of maybe like having Aaron Donald on one side and really bad player or not a bad player, but a lesser player on the other side with kind of a similar thought process. Yeah. I think like anytime the opposition can like adjust who they are to play to your strengths, it's good to avoid having weak links, right? I mean, that's a, a big deal. Now, with Jordan Davis, you know, the, the defensive line can can line up their players uh, over your weaknesses on the offensive side. So that certainly, um, you know, is a helper. That That's where defense has some ability to play offense a little bit. And um, But, yeah, I mean, it, it's really important. And, and you know, I think, I think, you know, Tage brought up a really good point. It's like, you know, Jordan Davis might only play, like, you know, 15 to 30 snaps. But in reality, like the difference between third and seven and third and four is really Jordan Davis. Like, so that on that third down, he might not be on the field, but his, he's, he's already changing the probabilities of the late down play um, by virtue of the fact that it's, you know, longer yardage for the opposition. So like, that's the big thing that I think that, you know, even analytics, like, you know, you know, big a analytics got like wrong at the beginning when we're thinking about okay our interior run defenders that valuable it's like well no not necessarily if you view them in a vacuum but if you view them and their second order effects on on teams it's a huge deal and and you know i think that defensively in general you just really don't want to have weak links anywhere um and it, they're the most profound in the backfield but as you said sean like they can they can show up and you know obviously in the front seven as well Yeah, I know that's a great point, especially about the second order effects. I think people will, because we all know the NFL is a passing league. It's all about stopping the pass, but you make life easier on your pass rushers with guys like Jordan Davis on early down. So I think that's a great 
point, Eric. Um, I do want to transition to the other side of the ball, which is the Eagles offense versus the 49ers defense. Um, you know, D'Amico Ryan's, it seems like he's the favorite to be the head coach in Houston now, despite Benjamin Albright's, uh, you know, tweets on that matter. Um, the, the thing about the 49ers, right, like they, they do kind of like have that Robert Salah type feel to them. A lot of cover three, a lot of single high. And Jalen Hurts, I think he's taken a lot of big steps forward as a passer. He's been amazing this year. Um, you know, he's probably going to finish second in the MVP race. The one aspect of his game or just coverage that he struggled against is cover three. So he's averaged a negative uh, one point, negative zero point one six two EPA, which is expected points added per play against cover three. And I think part of that is because. When you're in cover three, it takes away some of the ability for the quarterback to scramble. You have your linebackers, and Sean, you could probably explain this better than me, but you're going to have linebackers with their eyes on the quarterback. They're not going to be playing like too far down the field, so it kind of like limits like QB scrambles. And just in general, like the 49ers also have one of the most athletic front sevens, uh, including their D-line and uh, linebacking room. So I'm curious to see how Jalen Hurts kind of fares against cover three this week, because I'm sure the 49ers have kind of found that weakness knowing how smart of an organization they are. And they're probably going to try to you know, throw that at him for most of the game. So, Sean, is there anything like that the 49ers do schematically that you think will put some pressure on Hurts to kind of win as a passer? The co- cover three-point is really interesting. I, I'm not going to pretend like I've watched all of the Eagles' offense this year. I guess kind of conceptually thinking about it, right, cover three, four, four underneath the defenders, kind of those three deeper defenders. Obviously, our part of it is that a lot of the teams will play their zone coverage with eyes to the quarterback. So that's obviously very different than man coverage when your eyes are on the receiver. That's going to stop, not stop, but deal with the quarterback scramble a little bit better. And the 49ers, I think, do have issues dealing with the quarterback scramble the same way kind of any team does. I also think that if in some cover threes, the way that the offense, like the way Shanahan attacks cover three is like they'll get into their play action game. And I think the Eagles play action game doesn't deal with cover three as well because the way that they kind of conflict defenders on that low level, if you have just more people there, it's harder to do that. Uh, that That is really fascinating to me, and I think something I'll, I'm curious to look at. I wonder if – like, uh, go, oh, ahead. go yeah, ahead. Yeah, Ted's good. No, no, you're good. I, I was just going to say I wonder if the Eagles' solution to kind of what the 49ers' defense presents is going getting back to those tunnel screens that they ran so much at the beginning of the year because, like, you know, the 49ers – defense is so good against the run they were second this year in in epa against the rush behind the titans and then also second in success rate only allowing a successful run on 35 percent of rushes so the way to kind of like not run miles sanders and and kind of gain well into a a wall i think might be to like throw those aj brown and Devontae smith tunnel screens or get dallas goddard on some like some some different types of screens like slip screens or something and try to take advantage of like how aggressive the 49ers defense is even I think the tunnel screen is a great point. To me, if you're going to challenge the 49ers defense somewhere, make them play coverage, right? Like I think mm-hmm. Devontae Smith is so special and to me such a good example of why in like when I'm doing my Madden Fantasy draft next year, like you, your second receiver kind of has to be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver 1.5 because teams that, for example, yeah. like watching the Vikings this year, hey, you have Justin Jefferson, but the Eagles were the best team that played against that because they – force the resources to that way and if the offense can't go elsewhere that's a problem so for me on the eagles end i mean jalen hurts i think has been throwing a great deep ball all year i want to take vertical shots on those receivers like we've seen i think in the last few weeks whether it was michael gallup who in my mind maybe he got like pass interfered a little bit and then i think dk metcalf had a big one like 
I, AJ Brown, I think he, it seemed like his like hip maybe a little bit hurt, but between him and Devonta Smith, like that has to be something where there's a chance where they hit their overs on their receiving yards or Devonta has an early touchdown just based on that being the place where in my mind, you want to challenge. I do want to ask uh, one thing. So if like the pass rush, right, when you have Nick Bosa, to me, I wouldn't, or like one of the ways to deal with a uh, quote running or more scrambling quarterback is you teach your defensive end, Hey, we want to box him in. So like force him to win from the pocket. I was talking to my brother and just thinking, well, one, I don't want to like take Nick Bosa out of his regular technique, but also there you maybe you want to lean into the volatility of hey, if we get a sack, it is so valuable. So like it could totally cancel out a drive. So it might be worth taking chances and just rushing, getting after him, as opposed to playing more conservative and kind of forcing him to win from the pocket. I'm not sure if I did the best job explaining that, but if you guys have a thought on hey, we need to instead of preventing him from scrambling. Let's maybe give up one or two scrambles where if we can get a sack at a fumble, like that's such a game-changing play. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, you know, this is something I think the Bengals do very well is like their coverage is so sound behind, and we'll get to the, that game later, but like their coverage behind their pass rush is so sound that it doesn't even like force their pass rush to be super aggressive. Now, like as it relates to this game, Lane Johnson and Jordan Mailata are left on islands more than any tackle in – in all of football the eagles jeff stoutland shane steichen they trust those two on islands more than any you know player in the league and i think when you have nick bosa in this game who who obviously does a lot of damage and you know he's probably going to win deep play i think you don't want him to be this conservative player like you're not i don't think you it, it would be smart for him to kind of go through that game three of either i rush the passer and i i break contain or I'd be super conservative, and Jalen Hurts has 3.3 t- uh, seconds to throw the ball. So, Eric, maybe this is a good question for you, like from a mathematical sense or even like a game theory sense. Like, do you think that the 49ers should be aggressive in that sense from a pass rushing perspective, knowing that you know Jalen Hurts is a very mobile quarterback who can break the pocket, or do you think they should be more conservative and force him to win you know, inside the pocket and force him to hit those throws on the sideline and, and deep down the field? Yeah, I think in this game you want to produce at least a a you know a turnover or two, um, you know, and I don't think you're going to be able to. I, I think you're going to have a harder time doing that, pressuring him because he's probably just going to pull the ball down and take off. I think you know forcing him to make throws in tight windows might be the better version of that. Now, the the hard part is is it, it, none of that's going to really matter unless you can win on early downs, and so that's kind of the you know, the, the, the elephant in the room there. But I think if you get on late downs against Hertz, you're probably better. Well, a, you're already in a good position, right? Because that they want to, the Eagles want to play this entire game from ahead that, you know, both on ahead of the sticks and ahead of the game. Like we saw that against the giants, basically all last week. Um, If you're, if you get in third and long against them, uh, I think you, I think you want to, you know, keep Hertz in the pocket and, and make him make a mistake on the outside. Uh, you're not necessarily better equipped uh, against them with Traverius Ward and guys like that who struggle against bigger receivers like A.J. Brown, but I think it's your best gamble. Yeah, Tate, uh, I think you should talk about your graph that you made for the Sumer account and not uh, talk about Hurts' placement, but also his dot size, which I think is really val- relevant to what Eric said about Eagles wanting to play from ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. Hurts has had the least percent of plays this year where he's had to play from like a losing kind of like perspective 
right? It's, it's not even close, really. Like, the Eagles kind of get up, and they kind of just kind of go the rest of the way, and they can control these games so well once they have a, a big lead. So, you know, Jalen Hurts, when his EPA, when he's, like, tied or leading this year has been top five in the league he's, he's been very good and he's had to do that often but when he's been trailing this year he's had an, about an average epa per play um you know kind of on par with like andy dalton and, and russell wilson and, and aaron Rodgers. so quarterbacks that had like okay seasons and that's like the only thing that is still out there about hurts i think is as good as he is when it's a positive game script for him based on what he's able to do in the design rushing game and he's able to do with how his deep ball throwing has, has really evolved this year. He still might not be that type of quarterback that can pass like on 60, 70% of early downs like we see from Mahomes's and, and Allen's, like that, the, that type of level quarterback. And that's the one thing about this game, I think, at the end of the day is, you know, it's, it's actually like pretty simple is like whatever team jumps out to the lead should be able to control it better than when most teams jump out to a lead in like in any matchup because these teams are so good at, at closing out games based on what they're able to do from like a run game and from a play calling standpoint where Shanahan and Sirianni have so many like creative solutions to to move the sticks and and kind of churn out these like wins in the fourth quarter when when these teams are leading. Yeah, I, I hope also. Sorry, John, you go, you go. Actually, I'll go real quick. Yeah, I hope that that means that. You know, I think we saw the graph from Sumer where, like, Sirianni really adds a lot of win probability based on making good decisions, not allowing delay of games, or sorry, not taking timeouts to prevent delay of games, and going for it on fourth down. Like, it's it's crazy. I think I heard it somewhere that the Eagles have more fourth down conversions this year than the 49ers have attempted on fourth down, which just drives, <laughs> drives me nuts, drives me nuts that Kyle Shannon is so special. I really think he is the Patrick Mahomes of play callers where we think, like, okay, he is number one, but, like, he is in a totally separate tier, even of the next guys who are still very good. And, gosh, I hope that if it's the Niners receive, like, they take the ball first, they go down, they score, they start going for it on fourth down, like, once they pass, like, the 30-yard line or something. But – in a mismatch, like, it just gets me so concerned when one coach is – not even that it's more aggressive. Like, they're just more right, in my mind, where they're going to play the game to score more points than the other team, yeah. which to me is, is really the goal. So I hope that – look, maybe this is the one time where we get the kind of uh, spot out of usual from Shanahan where he's just going for it in every fourth down. And he sees this as a Super Bowl and really, you know, like, let's, <laughs> let's just do – like, our use check and Kittle – push Purdy the same way that you know Jalen Hurts does that push sneak also I do want to talk about one thing on the push sneak or like whenever like they get all the players behind Jalen Hurts and just shove them forward for a yard one they have a good package off of that but like um I think I read an article but their center like Jason Kelsey will like inch the ball forward a little bit and like yeah. reestablish the <laughs> the line of scrimmage just so smart like you have the rules and then obviously there are parts loopholes in the rules and then you can kind of build techniques out of that too where the ref's not going to yell at even if they say it, it's like, hey, we already converted the fourth down. Yeah, I'll change it next time. But, like, that's so game-changing. So, I know Kyle Shanahan's listening. Go for it on fourth down. Tell your center to move that ball up a little bit. Then we'll have a good time for the Niners. <laughs> that's a good point. That's what I keep coming back to about this game is both of these rosters are insanely talented. And both of these play callers on both sides of the ball are so good at putting their guys in the best position to win. So, at the end of the day, if Sirianni is adding 5% win probability from going for fourth downs at the right time, saving his timeouts and not taking delay games. And Shanahan is taking away a couple 
uh, you know, percentage points of probability by not going for fourth down and, and kind of wasting some of his timeouts. Like that might be the difference right there in this in the game that's going to be as tight as this one. Yeah, and I mean, also just the 49ers are one of the best teams on scripted plays like Shanahan. That's kind of like his specialty. I feel like it's a specialty of his whole tree where you don't really know what they're going to come in to the game running. And I think they've done a great job of, of making life easy for Brock Purdy. And um, yeah, I think I think uh, just in general, I think it will be a close game. I don't know if the Eagles will be able to dominate start to finish as they have in some of their prior games. Uh, but it, it is nice for them that they basically got uh, two buys. Uh, with you know the wild card game, they didn't have to play, and then obviously facing a like an average, maybe below average Giants team, which they dominated from start to finish. But um, I I think we should move on to the Chiefs Bengals game, and obviously we have the man of the hour, Eric, here to to kind of talk about that. Eric, the the one thing I wanted to just you know ask your question about ask your question about is Mahomes versus Luana Rumo. So this is something I looked at um, on Monday. So Mahomes is EPA per play versus rush three drop eight in 2021 was like 0.006. So it's obviously a small sample size, but that like that's much lower than his normal EPA per play. Now his EPA per play versus rush three drop eight this year, 0.651, right? So we talk about Andy Reid and Mahomes having a whole off season to kind of game plan for these type of defensive uh, schemes that they're going to throw out them. They completely shredded that. Now, if we look at his EPA per play versus rush three drop eight from 2021 to 2022, against non-Cincinnati defenses, he's averaged a .418 EPA per play on, in those situations. So he's done very well against rush three drop eight outside of Cincinnati in the past two years. But in the past two years versus Cincinnati, when teams have only, when they've rushed three drop eight, he's averaged a negative 0.87 EPA per play. Like, he's been awful. Now, this is only a sample size of about 20 plays, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts just, like, watching the game and looking at whatever data you've looked at. Like, what do you think is the cause for... Andy Reid and Mahomes kind of struggling versus this type of defense, specifically against uh, Lou Anarumo? Great question. I, I think that part of it has just to be sam- small sample size variance. And I think small sample size variance is kind of like what I'm pinning my not only like, obviously, you know, it, it's tough to divorce uh, your fandom from your analysis. And sometimes they mix, as, as Tej knows. Uh, I started calling. You know, when when Tej, you know, would hear me slip up and call the Lions we every once in a while, like he knows that like those things go back and forth sometimes when you 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 think you're rooting for your predictions. But I, part of me, you know, the the last AFC championship game, the Chiefs in the first half of that game game gained every single yard that was in front of their offense, except for the last yard. Right. So they get three touchdowns on three drives and then a fourth drive that got all the way to the one yard line in the second half of that game was where they struggled. And I think part of that struggle was the fact that you're talking about a team that had played basically five quarters the week before were on short rest. The Bengals had the extra day of rest last year, which is different this year. Um, and, you know, they kind of, I felt like the chiefs kind of spent all of their intellectual capital in the first half of that game. And they didn't have a ton left as far as creativity and things like that for the second half of the Bengals game. And so I think Lou Amaruno played a great defense to basically make the Chiefs answer the test over and over and over again. And I think they ran out of I think they ran out of gas in many ways in that game. Uh, I think in the in the in the subsequent game, you know, this this past season, um, you know, there was, you know, I, I think 
you know, Kelsey was kind of, you know, covered up really well in that game relative to normal. Um, when he did, there was a fumble that he had on, you know, at the end of the game that really, uh, I thought, like, kept the Chiefs from winning that game as well. So I think it's small sample size variance, but I also think that Lou does a pretty good job of making the Chiefs cross the street, uh, of, you know, 10 times. And, and eventually you kind of get hit by a car if that happens. And, you know, that that's a you know, that that's probably the way to play the Chiefs, even though among teams that have to do that, the Chiefs are the best in the NFL. It's still the best gamble. So, you know, it's sort of like in a lot of in a lot of worlds, every every single like do- behind every single door is a bad option. You just have to pick the best one. Lou picks the best one. And I think he's gotten the lucky's the wrong word, but he's gotten the right side of variance in the last two weeks, last two two games against this team. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And obviously, like I said, it, it probably is a, a small sample size thing just because Mahomes has been very good against this type of defense um, outside of Cincinnati. I, I think one of the underrated injuries coming back from for the Bengals is Trey Flowers. He is a bigger cornerback, 6'3", 6'4". Um, you know, he is, I think, what they call the Kelsey stopper on third down. So if it's third and six, third and, or third and six and longer, third and seven and longer, whatever you define as third and long, they will go into their dime packages and bring him on as basically an extra safety, but they put him on Kelsey and they'll either, you know, show some help with uh, Jesse Bates or Von Bell, usually Von Bell, because he's more of the box safety and they'll have, you know, Kelsey kind of locked up. So it is going to be a, a game where you, you need some of your offseason signings like Juju Smith Schuster or it's the people you traded for and Kadarius Tony to, to really step up because the Bengals game plan has been to kind of take away Kelsey and, and Tyreek. Uh, or Tyree's not with the Chiefs anymore, but take away Kelsey. And I think Mahomes and Andy Reid will have something schemed up to where they're getting guys the ball in space. But, you know, the Bengals have the kind of uh, have the players to kind of match the Chiefs on the outside. So I- I'm curious to see what what uh, what the Bengals do from that side. Tage, is there anything you wanted to add you know, about the Chiefs offense in this game? Yeah, I, th- I think like what you mentioned with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey there is in like the Chiefs offense last year when they went had their little bit of a slump but even in in the playoff game against the Bengals it was because they didn't know exactly what was were going to be the questions on the test because defenses had to make a choice between devoting a ton of resources to Tyreek Hill or devoting a ton of resources to Travis Kelsey like so now this season uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes know that on most plays, Travis Kelsey is going to see the majority of the defense's attention. So that's why they've been able to do things like they did last week where they targeted Kadarius Tony a bunch of times. We've had some really big Juju Smith-Schuster games. So that's why I think, like again, that the Chiefs are going to come into this game knowing that the Bengals are going to do whatever they, they can to take away Kelsey, especially after the game he had last week. And that's where these secondary receivers are going to have to have a huge game. And then the age-old question about Andy Reid in the playoffs, will he <laughs> run the ball when he's presented to, the opportunity to? Like, usually you want to pass when you have Patrick Mahomes on, like, 70% of plays, but if the Bengals are going to invite you to run as much as they did in the second half of that AFC Championship last year, and with how well Isaiah Pacheco has performed as a rusher these past couple of weeks, I think Andy Reid might lean into that a little bit more, but you never know with with him in in these type of games as good of a play caller as he is yeah Yeah, i think no sorry eric you got got it i think that there's i i think that there is like 
in the in the game against the Bengals, we we saw two deep deep shots to Valdez Scantling. I think that he has to you know at least keep the defense honest. I think Smith Schuster has to hit the crossers and stuff. It, you know, it, it's um, I, I think that I think that there there really does need to be you know kind of a very diverse Chiefs receiving core, and that includes the downfield stuff. The difference between the Chiefs now and the Chiefs in twenty one is the Chiefs downfield player had to also be their possession guy and had to be their everything at wide receiver. And now, you know, their, their downfield guys, Watson and Valdez Scantling are, are very much just guys who, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think are, um, you know, they, they they have that one job, right. And so the defense isn't keying on them. And, and so I think that there's going to be a little bit more open deep than there was in previous weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I do think the chiefs offense is a little more well-rounded now. Um, I think Eric is Hardman coming back for this game. Um, I think I think he's questionable. Okay, yeah, that definitely that definitely helps some of their plays if they're trying to scheme guys with the act. I know Tony isn't always the most reliable guy in terms of his uh, injury history, but um, yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to segue into into talking about the Bengals offense against the Chiefs defense. Um, you know, I think in general, like, I think this postseason we've seen some of the, the best ball that I've seen Joe Burrow play. Um, I think for the most part, he's really controlled the game start to finish. I think they're in the Ravens game. Like, I think he did struggle in the second half, but he didn't make some of those back-breaking mistakes that we've seen from him in, pri- in prior games and years in terms of taking, like, bad sacks on second and long or third and long and forcing punts. Um, and in the Bills game, I mean, he was pretty much nails outside of one throw in the red zone. Uh, and he's kind of really, I feel like, had the Chiefs' defense's number. And it's not even him. It's it's Jamar Chase and T. Higgins where it, in the, it feels like in the first game the Chiefs' defense kind of forced Burrow to take a lot of stuff underneath and, and try to beat them with, with Yak. And it worked because the Chiefs' defense struggled with tackling. And I think in this game we're going to see a similar thing. But I, I do wonder that even if pressing Jamar Chase in the long run isn't smart, you don't really want to give him the, the six yards on third and eight because – as you know, guys like Robert Mays and, and Timo Riske have pointed out, like Jamar Chase is always going to get the extra two or three yards. So I I wonder if it's better to kind of play with variance and press guys like Chase and Higgins at the line so you're not giving them the easy catches, but then you're also kind of inviting the deep ball, which, as we know, Jamar Chase and Higgins are two of the best in the world at. So, um, Eric, is there anything you're kind of looking at from that perspective in terms of like how to slow down this Bengals offense? I mean, they just need to get pressure on the quarterback, right? That's been the big, the big issue in all three of the of the previous matchups in the in the game in Cincinnati in twenty one. At least Clark and Jones got a sack, got a sack, I believe. But you know, since then, you know, they basically haven't been able to get to Burrow at all. The last two matchups, you know, if, if they basically have to decide defensively if they're going to be a, you know, if they're going to give up. I wouldn't do this, but if they're going to give up on getting pressure then they basically have to be able to play coverage and tackle, which has been a problem for them at times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, they, they have to choose between, I think, trying to pressure Burrow uh, and, and being a little bit, um, you know, more aggressive in coverage versus being a little softer in coverage and, um, you know, and, and trying to make tackles and sort of giving up on giving pressure because they think Burrow is going to get the ball out too quickly. I think those are the two options there. That, that's what I kind of remember from, like, the Bengals-Chiefs game that they played in the regular season earlier this year is 
when Burrow is kind of able to stand there for like a three seconds, survey the field, and then he sees like kind of the the Chiefs didn't blitz in that game that often, so he kind of saw like how back they were, and then he would just find Samaj P. Ryan, uh, just like for a checkdown that would would turn into seven eight yards. Like it it was a huge P. Ryan game that game, and like with with Mixon and P. Ryan in this game, I think like it'll be a decent amount of checkdowns because that's been the big adjustment from. Burrow and this Bengals offense this year is last year was all explosives and very reliant on either it's going to be a sack or a deep pass. And this year it's like everything's kind of more in structure and, and what they want to do with kind of the, the checkdowns to the running backs. I think Hurst has been a really good signing for them at, at tight end and what he's able to do after the catch. And then obviously Chase is one of the best in the catch in the league. I think next gen stats had him as a, third highest yards after catch over expected this season. So all those things together kind of compound and the chiefs are really going to have to tackle in this game if they want to want to win. And like, I don't know if their defense is going to be up to that task just because of what we've seen in previous weeks. Yeah. I also, I also wanted to talk about just the whole thing about Burrow versus Mahomes. I personally don't think it's going to be, it should really be much of a question, even if Burrow or the Bengals win this game. Uh, But I did. We did bring on uh, Sharp Clark, our friend Josiah Clark. Uh, so Josiah had a really good uh, thread of just stats for, uh, comparing Mahomes and Burrow, especially in the fourth quarter. So Josiah, if you want to unmute yourself, we can kind of talk about this kind of thing about uh, Burrow's more clutch than Mahomes and and things things like that, especially when just looking at their playoff performances. So uh, what? So Josiah, what was it that you kind of found in terms of comparing their uh, performance in the fourth quarter of like an overtime of playoff games? Well, I've got to credit credit the Twitter haters for this one because it started out as someone just commented on one of my tweets and was like, Joe has the it factor, um, which I've always found to be absurd. So I, so I went back and looked at his playoff games and just listed the results of all the final drives in each of his five playoff games that were one score games. So basically every playoff game outside of last week against Buffalo. And it was field goal, punt, field goal, punt, punt, interception, punt, punt, field goal, interception, field goal, field goal, punt, 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 turn it run down, punt, punt, punt. And so I just posted that as just like, that's very poor data. It's very like poorly collected. I was just like talking shit basically. But then all these people started commenting and being like, oh, well, this is misleading. Shouldn't you use like EPA per play or whatever, whatever? And I'm like, every time they ask these questions, I did the research and just found more and more evidence to show that this is a completely absurd take. So the ultimate, it ultimately led to this tweet, which was uh, EPA per play by, by Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow in fourth quarter and overtime of all playoff games in their careers. Mahomes is at plus 0.241. Josh Allen is at plus 0.043, and Joe Burrow is at negative 0.0152. And for reference, <laughs> for reference, that is lower than Zach Wilson's career EPA per play. So, so Burrow in his career in the fourth quarter and overtime of playoff games is a worse statistical quarterback than Zach Wilson. So that, that was kind of like the ultimate conclusion. <clears throat> and so it just I don't think that Joe Burrow is worse in crunch time, obviously. I think Joe Burrow is a, is a great quarterback who delivers – you know, a lot of clutch plays. And the EPA always has to be contextualized as a team offensive performance stat, and he played with a poor offensive line yeah. against some good defenses and all of that. But the idea that, like, a quarterback has this mysterious it factor based on a small sample size of playoff game results that went their way, mostly because of the way the defense played, um, I, I just think it's a completely misleading angle when you're trying to predict and analyze football games. 
Yeah, the, the Bengals' defense has also forced a four, second-half turnover in all six of their playoff games in the past two years. Like, they've given him the chance to, like, continuously put up points. And if you look at, like, at least five of those turnovers, excluding the Bills game, all f- or four of those turnovers, all four of them led directly to a win. Like, it was, like, Burrow still had to make a, a couple throws. Like, he had to make the throw against Kansas City. He had to make uh, a throw against the Titans. Uh, he had to, he did have to, you know, he, he didn't have to, he, he didn't have to, he basically didn't have to turn the ball over against the Ravens, but like they gave him the opportunity to win that game. And whenever it's talking about, oh, he led this game winning drive, it was also his defense setting him up in that position. And I think some of the stats you brought up that they're averaging 0.75 points per drive in the fourth quarter, like that is pretty bad. So, uh, you know, really appreciate, you know, you kind of bringing that one up while you're, while you're here, you know, what we should talk about this game. Is there any specific matchup angle you wanted to talk about that you kind of looked at when handicapping this game? Um, you know, this one was was tough to do with the uncertainty around Mahomes' ankle. Like, we we saw him play at a materially worse level in 2019 when he was playing on a hurt ankle before. And that concerns me as a Chiefs fan and as a Chiefs better. Uh, because what Mahomes brings to the table is, you know, head and shoulders above every other quarterback in the league, in my opinion. But only when he has full mobility. Because so much of what he d- does has razor thin margins between a sack and an amazing play. Like one of one of his mm-hmm. biggest qualities is he seems to always know exactly which hit is the one that's actually going to take him down. And so you'll see him like absorb these would be sacks somehow and then when he throws the ball it's like right before the hit that actually would have taken him down. And and that uncanny ability I think is compromised if he doesn't have the same level of mobility. Um so that's that's obviously the biggest thing. Um, on the other side of the ball, like I think the Chiefs need to press and be aggressive on the receivers because what Burrow does to to offset the weakness in the offensive line is that that quick game that he's gotten so good at. And if they can disrupt mm-hmm. the quick game, then I think they can get the pressure, which is what Eric was saying is the key to the Chiefs' defense in this matchup. I think if they let Burrow and the running backs and the tight ends have four or five yards of cushion, then I think the Bengals are just going to do what they did against the Bills, and, and that's not going to be good. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. I yeah, I think I think you you do have to have that trade off there from from the Bengal or from the Chiefs uh, kind of defense, and that's why like Steve Spagnola, like we've seen a lot of his defenses, and, and this is especially true in the year that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, where it starts a little rough, but they do get better throughout the season. And with how many rookies and and younger players the Chiefs defense had to play this year, like this is a kind of a big test for him as he can kind of check to see where the progress is of, of the team in, in this game. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's what it comes down to at, at the end of the day. And yeah, for, for all of you guys who joined Eric, Sean, Josiah, like we really appreciate you guys joining us, talking to, talking with us, like talking over these games, like it was a lot of fun. So just to kind of list off where everyone in here can find you guys, Eric is at Sumer Sports he has the Sumer Sports Show he does with Thomas Dimitrov, so be sure to check that out on Apple and Spotify, and then also follow the, the Sumer Sports account. Sean Syed was writing for the Daily Norseman this past year. He is now doing a lot of stuff with Ollie Connolly on his Substack, so be sure to 
check that out as well. And then Josiah, uh, you're, you're doing stuff for four by four. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you have some shows that you know, you're doing to preview those there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Four for four is the company I'm running for right now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thanks guys for, for kind of walking through these games with us. So we'll, uh, if, if anyone else wants to uh, request and, and speak here, and, and kind of talk about anything else. I, I think that'd be a lot of fun as, as we kind of wrap up. Yeah, we can, we can do like 10, 15 minutes more. I think of, uh, you know, just of the, of the, uh, tortoise races, you know, if we were, if anyone else, if anyone else wants to come on, um, we'll get Rohan in here right now. Uh, you guys can kind of just talk about or ask it questions about anything or, you know, join to talk about whatever topic you want to talk about. But Rohan, if you want to, you know, unmute your mic and do you have something you wanted to talk about? Hey, what's up guys? First off, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm actually a um, fellow Michigan student. In a big... Definitely an interesting week of football. Ahead oh. of us. Yeah, definitely. A, <laughs> definitely an interesting week of football Sorry, ahead of us. But uh, one question I do have thinking back to the Chiefs and uh, Mahomes ankle injury, injury in particular from like looking at like play by play stuff and like being able to filter for different play types and so on, considering that he's gonna have far less of that improv opportunity, just logically assuming. What sort of plays um that bode well into that situation or like should be called more often have been successful for the Chiefs offense? For example, throwing it between the hashes and like having like some sort of like routes that have worked well for, within the pocket. Yeah. Um, so first off, Rohan, like it, it's cool that you go you go to Michigan. I didn't even know. Like, yeah, we'll probably we might have to meet up at some point because it's, it's kind of cool that you know this, we have three Michigan guys in here. I think just in generally um, to beat the Bengals, I think you kind of do want to be able to run the run the ball against them. I think the Chiefs' run game has been pretty good in recent weeks, and I think the Bengals are going to play a lot of light boxes. They might even play a lot more dime cover dime packages. Uh, because they want to get Trey Flowers matched up with Travis Kelsey. And in terms of, like, route combos, it's tough because I do think the Bengals have been a little bit leaky in terms of their explosive plays this year through the air. They've allowed, I believe, upwards of, like, 55, 20-plus yard completions. But the Chiefs don't really have the juice to kind of take the top off the, the Bengals' defense. So I think you do want to kind of make them tackle a little bit. Um, Cam Taylor Britt is a rookie. Eli Apple, you know, I think he's a pretty good coverage defender. I don't know if I necessarily categorize him as someone who's probably a great tackler. And you kind of, I do think you want to avoid Mike Hilton, which I think Tage would agree with me is probably the most underrated like slot corner, just cornerback in the league. Yeah, for sure. I I think Mike Hilton's going to be able to take away whoever the Chiefs are are sending in the slot because they kind of have rotation there, but. Those outside corners are a little bit susceptible to the deep passes, like you mentioned. But Mahomes has been so good at hitting those deep passes when he's able to roll out of the pocket. So, like Rohan, like you mentioned, like with the ankle injury, if his mobility's kind of limited, I think it has to be a lot more middle of the field passes and kind of like the the pass we saw to uh, Justin Watson on Thursday night in Week Two against the Chargers, where it was like a straight middle of the field deep ball is like something that Mahomes might have to lean into more instead of scrambling outside of the pocket and hitting throws that are outside the numbers along the sideline. Yeah. And I think it would be um, very interesting to see how such, if they get uh, Pacheco involved from a passing game standpoint. Yeah, I think, 
I personally think it's going to be a more of a Jarek McKinnon game. I think the um, Chiefs trust him in pass protection a little bit more. He is a little more of a veteran running back, more savvy. And Pacheco still is a rookie, a seventh-round rookie. So I don't think they trust him um, as a pass protector just yet. So I think we will still see more McKinnon than Pacheco. But at least on running downs, you have to give Pacheco the carries. McKinnon is and was pretty inefficient when getting touches out of the backfield in terms of carries this year. And, I mean, I think he had like 11 carries for 25 yards against the Jags while Pacheco was much more explosive. So, yeah, I think if you're trying to manufacture touches for Pacheco in the passing game, it's probably going to be more screens rather than like dump offs because McKinnon is the preferred back um, in those roles. Yeah, for sure. I think that was a great answer and clears it up. But yeah, uh, otherwise, thanks for having me. Um, definitely need to get in touch a little more. I'm trying to build like a historical football, like Patreon slash database. Oh yeah, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that's we awesome. Should, we should definitely meet up <laughs> sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll we'll uh, we'll create a, a, a group chat after this and and create plans for that. But thanks for joining. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. All right. Next up, we have uh, Wisconsin Midwest. Uh, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? Um, I wanted to like ask y'all a question because, like, I really like. I'm so glad this year for the um the AFC and the NFC championship games. I I feel like it's like more interesting than it's been in the last you know a uh, few years because you got a lot of like new quarterbacks, you know, new fresh faces. So like, I want to know like, would it be the difference? between to to some of y'all between like both on the AFC side that's very like it's so interesting because like I'm I'm a Joe Burrow guy you know like I like I kind of feel like Joe Burrow even going back to his like you know what he did at LSU was huge you know winning the national nobody even knew who he was and he won a national championship there and then but once again bam pops up in NFL he you know he has a chance to go even though he lost last year, he has a chance to go back to back Super Bowls. And then, you know, we know who uh, Pat Mahomes is. You know, he's almost at the brink of Hall of Fame, no matter what he does here and out. You know, all his past accomplishments. And then we go to the NFC. Once again, we got a lot of new new guys. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, once mm-hmm. again, was a big time phenom, you know, doing um, with. Uh, Oklahoma and Alabama, you know, back in his, you know, at his alma mater, and going against uh, Purdy. But I kind of say, you know, he's really more against the 49ers. I think, you know, Purdy, he play, he doesn't play as much of a role at quarterback as Jalen Hurts at this point. But I just want to kind of know, you know, what would be the difference to y'all in those games that that help uh, these teams to come out with a win. Yeah, no, I, I love how you went back to their their college days, and I think it's really interesting that three of the four quarterbacks remaining graduated from Big 12 schools, and, you know, with, with Purdy from Iowa State, Hurts from Oklahoma, and, and Mahomes from Texas Tech, and I think, I think that's cool given, like, the conference kind of had a reputation for, like, not having real defense played in it, but we see that these quarterbacks are still able to succeed at, at, at the next level, which is been really cool I'll uh I'll, I'll talk on the the NFC game and I'll, I'll let Arjun have the AFC game I think for from the NFC game I it the, it really comes down to if the Eagles are able to force the 49ers into pure passing situations where the 49ers have to pass on third and six plus basically and 
Purdy has been a little bit erratic with the ball in, in those situations. And I think they could take advantage of a turnover or two from, from those spots, but it's really tough to stop a Kyle Shanahan run game and Kyle Shanahan quick passing game on early downs, which is why I think that like will be like kind of a, a big chess match between those two forces there. Yeah. And I think for me in the AFC, I'm really looking at how the chiefs pass rush not only gets home, but they have to finish these pressures so last year for reference they pressured joe burrow 17 times but that only resulted in one sack and when looking at like he made a lot of plays with his legs not necessarily his arm but his legs and escaping escaping pressure uh moving the pocket chris jones had like an entire handful of his jersey at one point and burrow still broke free i think the chiefs defensive line will have success in this game in terms of pressuring burrow but it, it's going to take a lot of pressure to sacks, which I think is the big key because if Burrow is able to escape the pocket, he is mobile enough to where he can be successful, you know, as a as a scrambler. But if the Chiefs kind of are able to close the pocket, not let him escape, I think they will force him into these kind of third and longs where Spags is going to have a lot of defensive looks, which I think should or could throw Burrow off. But for the most part, it is about the Chiefs' defensive line converting a lot of those pressures into sacks, something they really struggled with last year in the conference championship game. Yeah, man, I, I, I hear you, man. Uh, yeah, because, like, man, I'm, I'm huge on Joe Burrow. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I'm not – I'm still kind of – I'm not sure. Like, I'm still kind of here or there on – how Joe, how Joe Burrow handles like being pressured in the pocket. You know, I think he's a great uh, pocket passer. Like I kind of put him in a, I kind of put him in a realm with the pains and the, you know, the manners and stuff like that. I like, I think he's, I think he's been in the league and he's, he's honed his skills enough to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, superior, superior uh, pocket passer. I'm not as confident, confident, in him as what he would do in pressure situations. So I do agree if Kansas City can get Burrow in pressure situations, you might be you might be getting a different quarterback. You know, yeah. so I do agree with that. You know, that is something that, you know, you might not be getting a Burrow that most people might be uh expecting, you know? Yeah. And I think I, I think it, it's true for most quarterbacks like if you're able to generate pressure you're gonna be you're gonna force them to be worse than they normally are I think you know that is the case with Burrow also but for for this specifically it is about converting those pressures into sacks and I think you know if he's able to escape the pocket he has the playmakers where if he gets them the ball with yards of separation it's going to be very tough to kind of bring them down so I that was a great question which uh I don't know your attack name I'm sorry but Wisconsin Midwest really appreciate that question um, did want to move on to uh, another guest we have on, um, recurring guest, Mr. Hussam Patel, when he when he's connected. Uh, Hussam, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Arjun. I'm good, Chet. How y'all doing? Good. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. You excited for the games this weekend? Yes, I finally get to watch it. As I'm finally off of work on a Sunday, so I, I took off. I took off of work Sunday and Monday just to watch the playoffs game, and my brother is a huge Eagles fan, so uh, we'll see if I'm a jinx or not for the Eagles uh, this playoffs. <laughs> How did it happen where uh, you became such a big Dolphins fan and he became an Eagles fan? 
So, well, for me, my my dad was a Dolphins fan uh, up until yeah. the day he died. So I just literally, like, I took it from him. My brother, on the other hand, you know, when he was um, growing up, we, we were always watching the Dolphins. But, like, he said, like, they sucked. I mean, over the last 20, 21 years, they've they've been pretty mid. And, you know, he hopped onto the Eagles bandwagon when with Nick Foles and doing that Super Bowl run. And, you know, in our household, we just – completely despised Tom Brady like yeah. so much so <laughs> he, he held on to that fact and has has been riding with the Eagles since that Super Bowl win got you yeah I mean I'm not saying it'll happen but there is an outside shot Tom Brady's the uh Dolphins quarterback next year so then we'll have, <laughs> uh, have to figure out I think it's like it. less than 0.09 at this point <laughs> Yeah, we're obviously not. This is not a Dolphins quarterback podcast. We can save an episode in the off season if we want to do that. But, um, <laughs> is there is there anything you know about the games this weekend you want us to talk about schematics, analytics, anything of that nature? Uh yeah. I mean, just uh, a mix of both. You know, I was going over that um, original Week Thirteen game, and I was more so looking at the formations for the Chiefs offense, the Chiefs offense, defense, the Bengals offense, and defense and we know the Bengals were on the were on the field for sixty nine plays on offense compared to the Chiefs, which was on there for just fifty five plays. Now, when I'm looking at this, you know, Bengals defense, they they're primarily playing a four two five. They primarily played a four two five with forty four snaps and gave up an EPA of point eleven up against the Chiefs, who primarily play in eleven personnel around which was like 50 percent of the time and their epa per play was a 0.61 but when i'm looking at the chiefs defense up against the Bengals offense the chiefs are playing you know a lot of variety of defenses they're playing a 335 425 and 326 as well but the best defensive formation that the chiefs had up against the Bengals 11 personnel was um a 425 in which they gave up a point 14 EPA per play does do you guys think Steve Spagnuolo will change that up and go more so with you know a 4-2-5 look compared to a 3-3-5 he's played last last game against the Bengals hey do you want this one (laughs) yeah no oh sorry sorry I was uh I was looking at some of the data that you were you were mentioning on my computer there for a second but I, I think, like, the the interesting thing with Spagnola is he likes to keep things, like, pretty consistent for the for the most part because I think, like, based on – and I, I think that's especially true this year with, uh, with, like, how, like, little experience a lot of the people on – or a lot of the players on the Chiefs defense have. So I think that he is going to get into maybe a couple different fronts that kind of focus on – stopping the pass and, and letting the letting the Bengals run the ball. But when he has to adjust mid-game, maybe he, he starts to switch back to throwing an extra defender in the box if the Bengals show that they can continue kind of the success they've had running the ball lately. Yeah, I think I think this is something Nate Tice pointed out. Like, the Bengals are, like, top five in, like, rushing success rate since, like, week three or something. Or, like, even just over the course of – and I don't think it's over the course of the season, but they've been, like, really good – at running the ball. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Frank Pollock for kind of like being like teaching that offensive line to gel 
uh, established and being able to kind of run the ball. Even last week against the the Bills, they averaged like a point one four EPA per rush. So if I'm Spags, I think I'd probably start off playing light boxes because like Nick Bolton and Willie Gay are like two of the better like run defending linebackers in the league. Like both are very athletic, both are able to hit the gaps pretty fast, but they do struggle in pass coverage. So I do think you want to give them as much help as you can. And as uh, Josiah and um, and Eric kind of talked about, you do want to play that game with variance where you want to press up on these corners, but also give them safety help behind because you're not, if you let Jamar Chase catch the ball three yards short of the sticks, it's it's most likely going to be a first down. So I, I do think playing a lot of nickel and like six man boxes is probably the way to go. But um, yeah, it's Spags. You know, it's it's tough to really know what he does in these type of like big playoff games. So what do you do essentially in that situation with Chris Jones towards you know later in the second half when the Bengals kind of have to run run the ball, establish you know dominance, and make sure you know they have enough plays to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. I yeah, like, I, th- so I, got I like putting I like putting Chris Jones onto what the Chiefs decide is going to be the weak part of the Bengals' offensive line. We've seen Chris Jones at some point, especially early in the 2021 season, because of some of the teams that they were playing, they were throwing him out into like uh, a, an edge position and, and having him rush from the tackles there. But they've moved him back inside now because they decide that's where he's most effective and so one of the guards for the Bengals is going to be a guard that's not going to hold up as well and I think if they throw Chris Jones onto him like the quickest way to get pressure on a quarterback is and and to do it within the the 1.5 second mark that can really disrupt plays is from getting that that interior pressure from a three technique and inside so that's where I'd put Chris Jones but I think it kind of depends on where they, they kind of pick the, the weak spots from the Bengals' offensive line and then how they also feel about Frank Clark and, and if he's going to be able to get another sack like he did last week in, in this game. <laughs> playoff playoff Frank Clark is, is a top five edge rusher um, in, the, in, in the NFL, basically. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of resonate with a lot of the things Tage brought up. You do want to – kind of put Chris Jones over the Bengals' weakest link, which it's probably their right guard, who I think is Max Sharping. Um, uh, Cordell Wilson's played most of the year, and Ted Karras is pretty good. So I imagine Karras is going to be giving a lot of help to whatever side Chris Jones lines up on. So I think we could see a lot of like exotic looks from Spags to try to generate single coverage or just uh, single man blocking um, against Chris Jones. But, yeah, that's kind of how I would foresee it playing out there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have a good weekend, man. Yeah, enjoy the weekend as home. All right, uh, we'll wrap up with uh, Tage. You want to introduce this is your guy? Yeah. Hey, Alex. How's it going, man? Hey, Tage. Good to talk to you. Good to meet Arjun. Big fan of the show, of course. Um, I guess my question is: uh, last episode, uh, one of the things you guys talked about in Giants Eagles was although Dable has like done great coaching for the Giants the Giants were kind of outmatched in most of the position areas. So if you were to look forward to both of these games this weekend, how would you compare each of the positions in the opposing teams? Yeah. Oh yeah. This is a great question. Um, I like looking at from the, the NFC standpoint, like I think like basically everywhere on these, on these rosters are like 
high-end position groups. Like, if you look at both these offensive lines are really good. Eagles have an advantage there. But the 49ers, because of what they can do, have a really good offensive line. From a weapon standpoint, 49ers get an edge there. But, again, they're they're both really good as well. And then quarterback, Eagles get the advantage. Um, and, and running back, I think 49ers get the advantage. On, on the defensive side, both defensive lines are really good. But 49ers probably take that. 49ers uh, definitely take linebacker. I think they probably have the best linebacker core in in the league this year. And then secondary, I would lean Eagles because I think there's a couple of weak links in, in the 49ers secondary, but it seems pretty even when, when you kind of add it all up. And that's why I'm like so excited for this game because it's really just like the two most talented rosters in the league outside of quarterback, like going up against each other. Tage, I would actually disagree. I think the Eagles have the better defensive line. I think – I think people underrate the 49ers defensive line. Like, it's, oh, it's only Nick Bosa. Like, Charles Omena, who had 53 pressures this season, since and Ebicam at 43. So, it's like, it's not that, like, it's a bad or even, like, average. It's, like, really good defensive line. But I think the Eagles' D-line is just so deep in terms of, like, it's pass rushers. I mean, you have Brandon Graham, Josh, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick coming off the edge. Like, those are three very quality edge rushers. And Fletcher Cox, Hargrave, uh, and... I'm missing one more, not Jordan Davis, but like it's it's a very deep D line group. So I I would uh, agree with you on everything else, but I would give the edge to the D line edge to the Eagles in this sense. That's true. I guess if the, yeah, the the entire probably defensive line room for the Eagles is better than the 49ers. I guess maybe I would take the four defensive linemen that would play the most snaps. But yeah, you're right about I think like like once you include depth and everything, the the Eagles being better there from a talent standpoint. Yeah. Alex, is there is there anything else you kind of wanted to talk about uh, for this weekend? Uh, that was my question, I guess. How would you apply that to Chiefs-Bengals as well? All right. I'll, I can do – yeah, I'll go this one and see if Tage disagrees. Um, without a doubt, to me, quarterback goes to, uh, quarterback goes to the Chiefs. Running back, I would give to the Bengals. Receivers, give to the Bengals. Uh, I guess weapons in general, if we're going to classify that, I'd still go with the Bengals. Offensive line, definitely Chiefs. And then on defense, um, if we're talking D-line, I would go Bengals. Linebackers, Bengals. And then secondary, Bengals. <laughs> so <laughs> Bengals take the cake on defense. Uh, a little bit of a mix on offense. I, I agree with, with all of those. I think maybe slight lean to, to the um, Chiefs running backs over the Bengals running backs. But I think Perrine, like Samaji P. Ryan is much better than Mixon and so it like depends how much they use P Ryan over over Mixon and how much the Chiefs use Pacheco over uh, their other running backs as a rusher and then McKinnon in the passing game over kind of the other uh, other options they have there. Yeah, thanks guys. Uh, can't wait to sweat these games with you guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Yeah, so I think you know that'll wrap it up for today. We went on for about an hour, fifteen minutes, so. Again, really want to appreciate everyone that stayed from start to finish or even joined and, and is, is still here now. Um, this will be up on our all of our normal podcast places, um, you know, at some point tonight or tomorrow. So if you join late or joined early and had to leave, you know, you will be able to hear the rest. So, again, really want to thank everyone for coming on. Um, I hope everyone enjoys their championship Sunday. And as always, uh, until next time, I'll take the funds.